titled The Way of the Kingdom. Um, but before we do that, could we bow our heads in prayer? Um, Father, we thank you for your presence that is here with us this morning. Your word declares that wherever two or three are gathered, touching anything concerning you, that you are in the midst to bless and to do us good. And so, God, we, we, we anticipate a move of your spirit this morning, God. God, we're here, God, to hear your word, but not only to hear your word, but to do your word. And so, God, I pray that your spirit will empower us to do that this morning. God, let everyone that is under the sound of my voice, God, uh, have an attentive ear to, to listen to what the spirit is saying to us this morning. Will you have your way in us? Um, in, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, so the last time I was here, um, you know, I, I did introduce myself. Um, my name is Corey Johnson. I've, I'm a campus pastor for the Westbury location. I've been married for over 20 years now, um, you know, to um, the same woman. Um, <laughs> uh, yes. Um, she's, she's definitely been a, a blessing in my life. Her name is Monica. Uh, we have three beautiful kids. Um, my oldest is here, Christina. Um, she, she, I kind of forced her to come with me this morning, but <laughs> she gracefully said yes. <laughs> um, and uh, so God has been doing a wonderful thing in our life. Um, I'm originally from Jamaica, and so um, the last time I was here, I said that, and by no means am I apologizing for, for that. Um, I just know that sometimes whenever I'm speaking, someone will always be thinking in the back of their minds, where is that accent from? And so, you know, I, I want to put that to rest right now because sometimes as you're teaching and speaking, our minds can be distracted by questions and we're all over the place. And so I just wanted to put that to rest um, this morning. So I'm so excited to be with you this morning. Let, let me ask you a question. Um, have you ever wondered what would happen if you put the wrong fuel in your vehicle? You know, so sometimes you go to the gas station and, you know, you know, you see two types of fuel, right? A diesel and a regular gasoline. And sometimes if you're not careful to, 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 be, to be watchful of what's going on, you might end up taking up the wrong pump and put, right? Um, so I did some research on that um, this week. And, and apparently if that happens to you and you are aware of it, the last thing that you want to do is to turn on your vehicle, all right? If you end up putting the wrong fuel, meaning you put a diesel into a gasoline engine, just keep it off, call the tow truck, and, come, and they'll come and pick you up, all right? Because quite often, if you put the wrong fuel in the vehicle, it will cause engine damage. And once you turn on the car, it's going to spread that bad fuel all over the vehicle. Does that make sense? And something that might have cost you 3000 to repair might end up costing you over 20000 to repair. Why? Because you turned on the vehicle. That is what happens when you put the wrong fuel in your vehicle. I think quite often um, when we think of the way the Christian life is lived, I think the same principle applies, meaning that if we are motivated by the wrong things, quite often it will poison what we do. Oh, Lord, I'm not going to get an amen, but it's all right. <laughs> it will poison what we do. And so this morning we're going to talk about this idea of the way of generosity, the way of generosity. And the main idea that I want us to get across this morning is that it, it is the love of God expressed in Jesus Christ that fuels our generosity. Does that make sense? It is the love of Jesus, it's the love of God expressed in Jesus Christ that does what? Fuels our generosity. If it is fueled by anything else, whatever we do, it's going to be poisoned. Oh, Lord. 
Nathan, we, we, we're, gonna have to, we're gonna have to work this morning. Is that all right? We're gonna have to work this morning. So, uh, if you will, if you have your Bibles, can you turn with me to, to 1 John chapter 3, verse 16 through 18? That's 1 John, not John, 1 John. And so, if you have your Bibles, go to the back of the Bible to where Revelation is, and then turn to the, to the left a little bit, and that's where 1 John is. 1 John chapter 3, we're going to be reading from verse 16 to verse 18. It says here, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and see a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. In what? Action and in truth. As we think about this word generosity, quite often we think about giving money, yes? We, 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 we think about, you know, how much money we're going to give. But, but I want to challenge you to think of generosity a, a little bit in a more expansive way. Generosity is not just talking about just the, the act of giving. It's talking about the attitude in which you give. So when, we, when we're talking about generosity, we're talking about this person or an individual who has this attitude, who has this proclivity to give over and above what everybody else is doing. That could be um, in your finances, that could be in your time, that could be in your talent, but it's an attitude of the heart that says, I'm willing to give over and above. Not only in finances, but in every aspect of my life. And the reality is that if you are a believer, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, God is calling you to the way of generosity. He's calling all of us to the way of generosity. And so as we unpack this, this, this morning, there, there are two ideas that I want to lay at your feet. And, and, and we want to uh, take our time and we want to navigate that this morning. Let me ask you, how many of us know that generosity is not germane to the human nature? Oh, Lord. Okay. <laughs> because quite often you see this all around us, don't we? You know, when you have the little ones and, and they're growing up and everything like that, the first thing they want to do is just grab onto their stuff and it's all about me, 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 right? But there's a sense in which you have to train them. You have to cultivate in them this attitude of giving to others, yes? And the reality is, too, as, as we become followers of Jesus Christ, there's a sense in which uh, God has, as we spend time in the Word of God and as we spend time in the family of God, we learn how to be generous with others as well. And so there are two ideas that I want us to unpack this morning as we think about this idea of generosity. The first is this, that the love of Jesus is what motivates or it forms our motivation for generosity. The love of Jesus is what forms our motive for generosity. So the question is, where do you see that in the text, Pastor? I'm glad you asked. Let's look at the text, verse 16. It says here, this is how we know what love is. It's interesting that, that, that John is, he's talking, and this is the John, you know, the, the apostle, and he's this, also the John that writes Revelation. Notice what he says here. He says, this is how we know what love is. Notice he doesn't say, this is how you feel what love is. This is how you sense what love is. 
Because quite often when we think about love, we think about love in emotive terms. We think about love in affective terms. In other words, if I feel a certain way towards you, then I love you. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And if you're married, just, just keep your eyes front. Don't kick your husband or anything like that. Or your, right, right? If I feel a certain way towards you, then there's a sense in which I love you. But how many of us know that, that, that when it comes to, 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 to Christian love, when it comes to the love of Christ, it is not primarily anchored in our feelings? Oh, Lord. Because when, when you're married and, and when that, 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 that honeymoon season wears off, then you have to start the work of love. It is not anchored in our emotions, even though that is part of it. And, and John is trying to show us here that, listen, l- l- let me show you what love is. This is how you know what love is. In other words, John wants us to understand that love is an experiential thing. It is something that you can experience. It's something you ought to experience. And quite often as husbands and quite often as wives, you're like, don't, don't, don't tell me that you love me. I have somebody. Okay, thank you. (laughs) Show me. Show me. And what John is showing us here is that we're going to see a model of love that supersedes anything else that was in that time or in that culture. He says, this is how you know what love is. Okay, so what is love? That Jesus Christ, what? Laid down his life for us. Whoa. Whoa. I want that to to rest with you for a minute. This is how you what? Know what love is. That what? Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. You know, quite often, you know, as we're going through our day and as we're going through our week, and sometimes we, you know, we go, go through some tumultuous situation and we're like, oh my goodness, I don't feel like I'm loved. Or I don't say, you know, you're, you're going through that lonely season or that, or that wilderness experience and you're like, oh, I don't sense that anyone loves me. What John is saying, no, uh, uh, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, if you've put your faith in Jesus Christ, you can know that you're loved. Why? Not because of what my friends are doing, no. Not because of what my wife is doing, no. But because of what Jesus Christ has done. This is how you know what love is, that Christ laid down his life for us. As I think about that, it lets me know two things. Number one, we are valuable. We're valuable. I'm going to take my time here this morning. I'm amongst friends, so I'm going to take my time here. We're valuable. You're not an accident. You're not just a a, a conglomeration of cells. No, you are valuable. And, 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 And God gave his best gift for us. I don't know about you, but, but, but if I'm going to give my best gift to anyone, it means that that person is valuable. <laughs> and so if you're ever going through any situations or circumstances, even if your family and your friends and your neighbors don't count you as valuable, know that you're valuable in Christ. Why? Because Christ gave his life for you. That is powerful. That is powerful. As I think about this, let's continue in the text. It says, 
this is how you what? Know what love is. That Jesus Christ did what? Laid down his life for us. Can, can, we, can we move to the, next, to the next clause or the next phrase? It says, and what? And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Ouch. <laughs> what we're talking about here is, the, is this idea that it is the love of Jesus that what? Motivates or, or forms a motivation for our generosity. In other words, if I'm going to be generous towards you, it cannot come from a place of selfishness. It cannot come from a place of of me wanting to lift up myself. No, it has to come from a place where I see that Christ did something for me, and because he did something for me, then now I'm able to do something for someone else. Can I take my time here? This, This word lay down... It, 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 you know, I, I know Pastor Nathan loves to get into the Greek and everything like that, but um, I'm not going to go there. <laughs> this word laid down it has this idea of, of moving to a new position. It, it, it talks about you, you were in this position before, but now you are in a new position. And I think what, what John is trying to convey to us is that before you, used, before you came to Christ, you used to relate to your brothers and sisters in a certain way. But now that you are in Christ, you ought to relate to them in a new way. You are in a new position. And what he's saying here is that he's, he's saying that, listen, this thing, this thing of laying down our lives for our brothers and sisters, he's, he's saying that this is not optional. Oh, Lord, I'm getting deep. <laughs> It is not optional. Notice the word he used. He says we ought. What does it say? Can you, can you put that back on the screen? I want to make sure that we're in the text. What does it say? What? We ought. That word ought talks about a duty. It talks about an obligation. And when we're thinking about obligation, it is something you owe. In other words, once you become a part of the family of God, this is how we relate to each other. You owe this to your brother. You owe this to your sister. Why? Because our big brother, Jesus Christ, has done that for us. And if we're part of the family of God, this is how we relate to each other. It is not an option. It is something we do. It is something we owe to each other. Amen? Am I going too far? (laughs) Oh, Lord, stop. (laughs) It is the love of Christ that does what? Motivates our generosity. It motivates it. So the question is, if, if, if it is the love of Christ that motivates my generosity, is there a way that I can check if my motivation is correct? I think that's a good question. (laughs) <laughs> no? <laughs> Here's a good check. Do you have joy when you give? <laughs> you, you, you know, when, you, when you're giving off your time or your money or your talent or, or your service to God, are, are you grumbling or are you, just, are you joyful in it? Do, do you see it as a burden or do you see it as, a, as wow, I can't wait to do this? Let me ask it to you this way. Are you disappointed when you don't receive after you've given? Oh, Lord. All right. (laughs) 
Because if you're disappointed, you really haven't mastered, you really haven't started to live in the way of generosity. Because generosity gives. Love gives, even at the expense of self. Amen? Hello. There's a sense in which, Pastor Nathan, can I come down? Okay. (laughs) There's a sense in which, Pastor Nathan, God is calling us to a radical view of what community looks like. You see, quite often when we think about community, we think that community means that we just come, we just congregate for a few minutes, and then we're, we're gone, and then we're out. No, 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 no. That is not what Christ is calling us to. Christ is calling us to be an integrated, uh, eclectic mix of, of people from different tribes, tongues, nation, color, all different creeds. But, but there's a sense in which because Christ's love is in us, it connects us to a much deeper level. It's a radical view of community. You know, sometimes you can, you know, you, you, you come and you're part of a community and you're like, okay, I'll just do my little thing here and then I, I can just separate myself from the community and I can just go. Or I come and I'm, and I'm part of this little thing and, 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 and something is being asked of me and, and I don't want to give my all, but I just give, you know, 2% of my time and effort and everything like that and I just go. God is calling us to a more radical view of community. He's saying that you're not just a collection of people. We are family. Hello, we are what? We are family, amen? Amen. It is the love of Christ that motivates our generosity. The second thing I want to unpack here, or we want to look at here, and we see it in the text, is it's this, is that it is the love of Christ that frames the manner of our generosity. It is the love of Christ, it is the love of Jesus that does what? Frames the manner of our generosity. In other words, Jesus is not only concerned that you cultivate an attitude of giving or an attitude of generosity, but he's also concerned in how you give or how we are generous. Let's look at the text. It says, if anyone has what? Yeah, at, at the Westbury campus, we talk back to, to the pastor. So, <laughs> you know, and if they don't talk back to me, I'm going to keep them for, for an extra hour. <laughs> so if you work with me, we can get out here in a timely manner. Is that all right? Is that a good deal? All right, good. <laughs> all right. If anyone has what? Material possessions. Now, now, when we think of this word material possessions, the, the idea here is it's not talking about somebody who is super rich. It's not talking about somebody who has a lot of stuff such that they have extra. This, this idea of material possessions is really talking about the individual who has just what they need to live on a regular basis. So, 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 you, so you see what it says, if what? If anyone has what? Material possessions, 
What do we do? One second, don't, don't go there. Don't. It means that if you have something, you give something. Oh, Lord. <laughs> you, know, you know, quite often when, when we're thinking about generosity, we, we tend to have this mindset about generosity. You know what? Um, I only have $10, and because I only have $10, I cannot give. But you know what, Lord? I will wait until I have $100, and when I have $100, then I'll give. The Lord blesses you and everything like that, man. And you got a promotion on the job and everything. And now you start earning $100. And you're like, but you know what? Inflation has gone up. You know, I've moved into a bigger house and everything. But Lord, $100, I don't have enough to give. But Lord, if I have 1000 then I'll give. The Lord blesses you with 1000 and you know the story, right? Oh, Lord, but 1000 no, I don't have enough to give. God, when I have 100000 then I'll give. And, and the Lord, and we never get around to what John is saying here is that the manner of our giving is important. He says, if you have, you... I'm not... Okay, all right. If you have, you give. <laughs> you know, when I, I, whenever I read scripture, I'm always trying to insert myself, you know, in, in it to see, you know, to see things from the perspective of the writer or the author. The Bible tells me in Luke 21 that, that Jesus, at one point, he sat in the temple. And, and as he was sitting in the temple, he was observing the collection plate. <laughs> and, and, and the Bible says that there were rich people who came in and they were just putting money in the collection and, and, and everything like that. But, but there came this elderly woman who came up and all she had were two small copper coins and she dropped them in the offering basket. And as she dropped them in the offering basket, Jesus looks and he makes an evaluation of the giving. And, and he looks at the people who were wealthy and, and how much they give. And he says, you know what? Of all the people who gave today, the person who gave the most was this woman who gave only two copper coins. Now, in our economy, we would say, oh, okay, the person who gave more is the person who actually gave more. <laughs> and the person who gave the least was the person who gave the least. <laughs> That's how we look at things in our natural economic way of doing. But in God's economy, in the divine economy, Jesus says, no, it is not the person who, had, who has more and then give according to that, that gave the most. It was the person who had the least and gave everything, even in that situation. What that tells me is that God, yes, he's interested in the amount we give, but more than that, he's interested that we give. If you have, you If we have, we give. Let's continue in the text. It says, if anyone has material possession and <laughs> don't go too fast <laughs> if anyone has material possession and I've, I've been in church long enough to understand and to know certain things about church folk can, can I share them with you Okay, you don't want to talk to me, all right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
One of the things I've observed is that church tends to be a place where we come and we hide. You're going through something rough and you're going through something deep and you can be sitting beside somebody who is suffering. Somebody who is, you, you can be sitting beside somebody who, who does not have food to eat this evening and you would not even know. And, and I've observed that sometimes the church is a place where people come and we hide. In other words, no one knows what I'm going through. And we walk out of church saying, oh my goodness, nobody's loving in that church. But it's not that we're loving. Sometimes we just don't know. And this is what I've come to realize that, number one, the church is not a place where you come and hide. The church is a place where you come to be known. I wish we could get that this morning. I wish we could get that this morning. When I first came to, to, to Long Island, uh, Pastor Nathan, you know, I'm, I'm from the Bronx, and so, you know, you know preaching in the Bronx is, is really, you know, different because the, the needs are evident. The needs are obvious. They are just there. But when I came to Long Island, man, woof, <laughs> man, the houses are much larger. The cars are much nicer. I mean, the, the, you couldn't figure out what anyone needed because all of that is hidden behind the surface. And there's a sense in which that that exists in the culture creeps in the church where we come and we hide. But the church is not a place where you come and hide. The church is a place where you come to be known. So as I look at this text this morning, the Bible says, if anyone has material possession and sees his brother or sister in need, but has no pity on that person, how can we say the love of God is in that person? And there are three things that I realize that the church community must be. First of all, the church community must be a revealing community. If you're coming to church, don't hide in church. If you're coming to church and you have a need, don't, 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 don't walk out and not let anyone know. We want to know. We want to know. Let us know. Hello? The church of God must be a revealing community. Next, the church of God must be a responding community. If I see the need, I ought, there, there has to be something in me. There has to be a bowl of compassion in me that moves, that, that has empathy on that person, and I'm moved with compassion. Not just pity, but compassion. Because pity can say, oh, I'm, I feel sorry for you. Have a nice day. But when you're moved with compassion, you not only have empathy on that person, but you're willing to do something about the situation that that person is in. The church of God is a revealing community. The church of God is a responding community. And the church of God is a receiving community. (laughs) In other words, if you have a need and somebody is trying to bless you, don't reject it. Oh, oh, okay, that doesn't happen here, but okay. <laughs> Have you ever been in a situation where, where you're trying to bless somebody and like, no, no, I'm okay. No, 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 you don't need to do that. You don't need to bother yourself with that. No, I'm okay. Uh-uh. The church of God is a receiving community. Here's why that is important. When there's a need that becomes obvious in the 
church of God, it provides an opportunity for two things. Number one, it provides an opportunity for us to demonstrate the love of God. Hello? And it provides an opportunity for the recipient to experience the love of God. Hello? So, 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 so the need presents itself, the need presents itself, and then that provides an opportunity for the church to demonstrate the love of God, and it provides the person in need to be the recipient of the love of God. And when there's a demonstration of the love of God and a reception of the love of God, guess what? The love of God flows in the community of God. You're preaching, preacher. Do, do, do you see? But whenever the need is not revealed, whenever the need is not obvious, it does not give us an opportunity to demonstrate and it does not give you the opportunity to experience and the love of God is clogged up. Hello? The church of God is a revealing community. The church of God is a responding community. The church of God is a receiving community. Amen? Amen. Sometimes, you know, we come to church and we're like, mm, I don't want to bother those people with my burdens. Oh, I don't want to let anyone know that I'm going through this. Uh-uh. Come. Let us do this thing together. Come. Let us bear one another's burden. Amen? Amen. How much time? Oh, Lord. I'm getting... Let me move on. So, so the question is, how do I cultivate, how do we cultivate, how do we cultivate generosity in the, in the house of God? How do we cultivate generosity in the house of God? And that brings us to verse 18. He says what? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and truth. With what? Actions and truth. And so the question becomes, how do I cultivate, how do, how do we as a church family cultivate generosity. I think there are three things that we need to do if we're going to cultivate generosity. First, we need to recognize that nothing belongs to us. <laughs> nothing. Somebody say nothing. Nada. Nothing. Nothing belongs to us. Everything belongs to God. The scripture says, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof the world, and they that dwell therein. So the money you have belongs to the Lord. The car you have belongs to the Lord. The house you have belongs to the Lord. You belong to the Lord. Nothing you own, nothing you have belongs to you. It all belongs to him. Recognize that. The, the, the second thing that we need to do as, a, as believers is, is that if we're going to cultivate generosity, not only do we need to recognize that nothing belongs to us, but we need to remember, we need to remember how much has been given for you. The Bible says that Jesus Christ laid down his life for his friends. Jesus Christ gave up his life for you and for me. And I, know, and I don't know about you, but that is the ultimate sacrifice that anyone could ever pay. That they would lay down their lives. You know, as I was preparing for this, I, I asked my wife, honey, would you lay down your life for me? Um, yeah, yeah. I, I'm still waiting for a response. 
know, remind me when I go home to, to talk to mommy about that. <laughs> it's the ultimate sacrifice. Recognize that nothing belongs to us. Remember how much has been given for us. But finally, rehearse acts of love, not feelings of love. Rehearse what? Acts of love, not feelings of love. Because you know what happens when we, when we um, operate in the realm of feeling? If I feel good towards you today, I'll be a blessing to you. But if I don't feel so okay, <laughs> it's not happening. <laughs> now, it would be one thing if those kind of dynamics happened between believers and unbelievers. Hello? But quite often, those dynamics happen even within <laughs> the church of God. Hello? God is saying, no, I don't want us to be a community that lives based on how you feel about your brother and sister. No, I want you to, to be a community of people that is willing to give and to be generous, irrespective of how you feel about people. Because if I'm just going to operate on my feelings, there is no way I can love my enemy. No way. No way. Jesus calls us to love our enemies. But there's a sense in which we were enemies of Jesus. And yet, he gave his all for us. And he's calling you and me, the family, the community of believers, to love one another. Amen? Let us, number one, what? Recognize that nothing belongs to us. Everything belongs to God. Let us remember how much has been given for us and to us. And last but not least, let us rehearse what? Acts of love, not feelings of love. Could we all stand this morning. Amen. What would the church be? What would the church look like if we were to live this way? Imagine what, what this body could look like if the church actually lived that way. Man, people would be coming in and like, oh my goodness, there's something different about those people. Man, I just got there and man, I felt like family. I just got there and I felt so welcome. And nobody looked at me strange. Nobody looked at me funny. No, no, no. They just loved on me. Oh, evangelistic efforts. Man, we wouldn't have to put any money in that. <laughs> just the love of God that we exude would draw people to the church. Amen? Amen. Let's bow our heads. Father, I thank you for your word to our hearts this morning. I thank you, God, that you're able to speak to us no matter where we are. God, I ask this morning, God, that as your word has gone forth, I pray, God, that we will not only be hearers of your word in the sense that we are accumulating knowledge and we're accumulating more information, but more than that, God, we'll be doers of your word. 
that this morning, God, we will look around us, that we'll be more observant, that we'll be, uh, we'll be more observant of our neighborhoods, we'll be more observant of our school environment, we'll be more observant of our church family, and that, God, we'll be moved with compassion to do the things you've called us to do. Help us, God, never to be a people, God, that hoard, never to be a people that, that just collect more and more stuff, but help us to be a given community, help us to be a generous community, that is able to give above and beyond. May your spirit do your work in our hearts and in our hearts this morning, God, to help us to become the people that you want us to be as we seek to serve you. In Jesus' name we pray. Let the church say, Amen. 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 You may be seated. At this time, we're gonna call the we're gonna call the deacons and the